0: Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is part two of my interview with Sarah and Laura about their experience in the Columbine shooting. So I will now cut to the interview. And just hearing your recollections of that day, I'm sure it's really hard to put that to words. Like it's just so unimaginable. But it really struck me in each of your accounts of that day that you were focused on the other and that you are worried about each other and do you feel like i don't know what's that like now just in your friendship and your relationship as sisters and just having that similar experience where you both went through that
1: i'll say something and i probably will not be able to say it without crying but um we were very close to begin with. I mean, before any of that happened, Sarah and I were very close. And um, I feel like our our experiences and stories are so different from that day because uh, we needed them to be, and we needed to be able to be there for each other in different ways. And it's still very much the same now. If something... You know, if another school shooting happens or something happens, we're instantly in contact with each other. I mean, we live a mile apart, and I think our relationship is very rare. And we are actually told often that people wish that they had that relationship with their their sister. And it's something that I don't think... Um, can be recreated. It's something really, really deep and very special. And Heavenly Father knew that we needed each other to, um, I guess, to be able to survive the things that we were put in. Like you said, it it's just something that
2: uh, I think anybody who goes through a traumatic thing with somebody close to them well, I don't know. It either makes it or makes you or breaks you, you know, and, and Laura and I have grown together even more and relied on each other very heavily um, through the last few years. I mean, the last 20 years and continue to do that for everything. I mean, not just things like that, but there's really nothing that will be able to, to break that bond now at this point, having gone through that together. So yeah it's 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 a special and very important connection that we have.
0: So yeah to be that support for <clears throat> each other like you mentioned when other school shootings happen I mean that has got to be almost re-traumatizing in a way and to be yes. able to have each other to process with and and lean on has probably been really helpful. So
2: it definitely has.
0: So I know that a lot of times we focus on kind of the events that happen, the traumatizing events, but can you give us kind of an idea of what life looked like after that, like the next 72 hours or the next month after the shooting?
2: So, um, obviously we didn't go back to school. Uh, we didn't go back to Columbine at all that year. Um, but we did have to finish school in order to pass that level, that grade. And they, we had probably two weeks off, I believe from school altogether. And during those times we would, uh, mostly be with our friends. We had people, you know, from all over coming to make sure we were okay. Um, in those next few hours afterwards, you know, some of the parents whose kids died didn't even know that they were among those victims until you know, obviously they didn't come home that day. It was such a strange way that it all unfolded. Um, you know, we didn't know our friends were alive until we saw them again in the the, the days following, and you'd see see somebody that you cared about, and you, it was like you know, this huge breath of relief over and over and over again, as you saw people that you thought, oh my gosh, I'm glad they're okay. And, um, you know, those kinds of things are very different these days with with the technology that we have, but we couldn't, we literally could not call everybody and see and and people, you know, even authorities didn't release that information. So um, those next few days we really just, tried to be with the friends that were there. And that was a huge comfort. Um, We didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it with each other and we didn't talk about it with our families really. Um, Just being with people who had gone through it was a huge comfort because we didn't have to talk about it. Um, We all knew that it was horrible and scary and, and together we could kind of create some sort of a, Normalcy, where you know we tried to to act like things were okay, and um, I think that was good for us. I think sometimes we're not ready to process what's happened to us, and we definitely were not. Um, we had a lot of service project opportunities at our our church, and that helped a lot to take our minds off of what we had been through. Um, and we also had some. Uh, social social services come in LDS social services came to our church and they did group counseling sessions, and I can't tell you that was helpful because honestly I don't think I was ready to talk about it. Yeah. But mostly it was just you know being with our friends and not having to say anything that was the most helpful for me anyway.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes people would look at that and say, "Oh, they're just." you know, shoving it down or brushing it under the rug, and that's not healthy. But I think you're right. Like you, in some situations, you really just need time. And Mm -hmm. just kind of going back to normal life and being with people that you love and people that you would hang out with, just kind of brings that normalcy back and reassures you of, oh, okay, I am I am okay. Like I'm here and this is normal life and, and I'm all right. And Laura, did you have a similar experience just kind of in the days that followed? Yeah,
1: um, we I remember that night somebody came knocking on our door and all of, you know, all of the major roads were closed. All of the phone lines were actually just shut down because so many people were calling Littleton, Colorado from around the world that it was just like a busy signal. So we you know a lot of our family and um, friends just couldn't couldn't find out for sure we ha- we had two brothers serving missions for our church uh, in different countries and um, eventually heard from both of them and you know they got the reassurance that we were okay but that night my aunt came over and knocked on our door and she just came in and cried and hugged us and said, I've just been she worked at a restaurant by um over by her house and she said, I've just been locked in my bathroom in this restaurant praying and praying that you guys were okay and I couldn't get over here fast enough. And the next morning there was another knock at the door and a whole group of my friends came and Um, they said, we, we heard you were dead. We didn't know if you were alive and we, we had to come and see in person that you were okay. And, um, it was just a very, I slept on my parents. Actually, that night I slept in my mom's bed. I'm sure I slept in my parents, um, bed for a long time, but it, it was, you know, we attempted to find normalcy. Um but it was really hard. I think when it quieted down and yeah. you were alone with your thoughts or you know, for me it was and it's still very similar now. If the sun starts setting and it starts getting dark, um you know, that's when I really feel like I had to face the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah. Did you guys return to your school that fall? Yeah. We did. So we, you did.
1: We went to our rival school after two weeks and we shared the school schedule. So they went from six in the morning to noon. And we went from noon to six just to fulfill oh, wow. the hours. Yeah. And we didn't do any work. We just were there. It was yeah. just really physical hours and um, we returned to the school. Actually, we returned in the summer. Um, they asked everybody to come and get their belongings. And my mom took work off that day and it took a lot of, uh, prep, mental prep and emotional prep for us to walk in those doors. And we walked in hand in hand, Sarah and my mom and I, and Um, they hadn't done a whole lot to clean up the school. So it was it was really scary. It was the lockers were boarded up. We went into the gym and we got our belongings and my backpack had been floating in water and I took all my notebooks out and they were just crunchy and um and then we went back for real our you know, the year two thousand, our next school year and they laid out a red carpet and they had the news there and they had balloons and just really tried to make it a, a positive
0: experience. Yeah. And were things kind of fixed up by that point to make it seem like windows had been repaired, but
2: I mean in the place where there had been the most death they put, it was the library and they actually put lockers up over that hallway instead of, uh, getting rid of it altogether, which they did in the the next year following that they, they tore it completely out, which was much better. But that year, my junior year, I refused to even walk down that hallway because it was, I mean, you knew what was behind those lockers. Nobody used those lockers. It was just this false wall of, you know, trying to hide, what was there and they knew nobody would be able to go back yeah. in there. And so they, they ended up putting our library out in these temp buildings outside for the, the next couple of years. In fact, I never had a real library again while I was at Columbine. Um, but they had to change the, the fire alarm because nobody could listen to that after kids had been trapped in there for four hours, listening to that, they couldn't hear that and not be triggered and even still, it was triggering for people. I think you you don't realize how much you're visually um, triggered by things until you, you get back in there and you see where you were and what you were doing. And, you know, you try to pretend that you're tough and you can walk down the halls without panicking a little bit. But um, I remember graduating and I... I got out in the hallways and my last day of school and I just everybody's cheering and screaming and I was just bawling because it was like sorry it was such a huge relief to have made it to be done so yeah
0: yeah and so so with those triggers and I imagine they happened all the time and out of nowhere I don't know that at 14 and 16 I would really have language for that like I don't think I really would have known that I was experiencing PTSD and and maybe um they did some educating with you guys but when did you kind of realize that you were experiencing some of that
1: They really um, didn't do a lot of education at least I don't remember any do you Sarah I don't think I connected PTSD to my experience until college. Yeah. I just didn't, um, you know, Sarah talked about the fire alarms. I, every fire alarm, and they would warn us like the day before and then hours before. And, you know, they really wanted us to be mentally prepared for that because they knew. But you're required to do, you know, so many Fire drills, and um, I went home every time after I um, pretty much was just set right back into the the day of April twentieth, and soon they started to expect me in the office when those fire alarms happened, and um, I would go, I would call my mom, and she'd come get me, and I'd go home, and she. Um, she was the best. I mean, I'm sure she knew and she could see that we were suffering with PTSD, but she just did her best to help us survive through it.
0: Yeah. You said kind of when you were in college is when you started realizing some of that was going on. And so what did that kind of look like in your life? It was hard for me. I think a, a big part of my um,
1: difficulty when I left, you know, after I graduated was that I had a lot of separation anxiety. And I, I think that I've always been pretty clingy, but I think that was a a huge sign of that for me. And so leaving, I went to school in Idaho and I left my family. And one night, me and my roommates watched an episode of 24. I don't know if you guys remember that show, but um, you know, I just, I I watched it with them just because it was what we were doing. And I didn't think that that would affect me. But the next day uh, I called my mom and I couldn't, I just couldn't even function. I was so scared. I couldn't stop crying. I was having panic attacks and I called my mom and she said, I took the day off of work today because I knew that you were going to need me. And she said, what happened? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I watched this show last night and, and then I think that was kind of my first clue. You know, she talked to me about it and said, you know, watching those shows is probably not the best idea. So I don't know. I think it's just so different, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a very individual experience for most people, you know, it just affects you differently. I think, I'm sure Sarah's was very different than mine also. I actually, um, went to therapy
2: shortly after, and I think somebody was offering free therapy. And I think that's why, probably why I went, um, I think my mom tried to get us both to go, but I went and and she talked about post-traumatic stress. And I think that's when I realized that's probably what was going on. And she tried to do some, um, tapping with me. And so she'd have me, you know, tap my hand. And at the time, you know, I'm like a a 17 year old teenager with probably some moodiness (laughs) (laughs) tendencies. And I thought, what in the heck are we doing? And I just didn't have an open mind to it. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm one of those people who has a hard time accepting help from anybody. And so opening myself to that and like, even being willing to allow that at the time, I just think it wasn't happening. Um, But she, you know, she asked me questions about triggers and that kind of stuff. And, and so I knew, um, I knew that might be an issue, but I, I don't think I realized how, how encompassing that would be in my life and how I would continually deal with that for the next, you know, 20 years as I still do in, in certain ways, I still deal with it. So loud noises still, especially, especially explosions, um, still scare me. And I get panicky when I'm in a, a public place about where I might escape if something happens or where I could hide or what I would do. You know, I, I my mind starts to wonder What would I do if I had my kids with me or, mm-hmm. and I just have to stop myself in those thoughts and just kind of bring myself back to the present and, realize the likelihood of that is minimal. But I still do that. I still catch myself doing that often.
0: Yeah. And and what do you feel and this may be different for each of you, but what do you feel like has helped you the most in in healing from some of this? Is was it therapy? Was it a coping skill? What do you think has helped you heal? I don't know. I, I busy myself a lot when I
2: have time to sit and think about things is probably the worst time for me. So I, I'm busy, you know, I'm busy. I'm a busy mom with five kids. And so it's not hard for me to stay busy, but, um, and I know that that's maybe not the healthiest way to, to take care of it, but, neither is diving down the rabbit hole. And, Mm -hmm. and so I, um, you know, my coping has just been to move on and, and try to try to have normal, create normal, you know, and, um, I don't want to be bogged down by fear. And so I, I try not to let that Decide or determine what i'm gonna do in my life or what i'm not going to do I'm not gonna not do something because something might happen and um, that's been kind of my my way of dealing with it in fact, Laura and I talk all the time and and recently we were talking about maybe going to therapy again and I thought that's probably a good idea at this point in my life when you know I'm mature and i recognize where things could help. I think any, anybody could benefit from therapy, but um, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. So I think there's just always work to be done. There's always ways to to improve ourselves and
0: be healthier. Yeah, I love what you said. I think therapy is an amazing tool, but it looks different for everybody when it makes sense to actually go. And how about you, Laura?
1: Um, Mine was, you know, um, different. I did go to therapy a couple of times. Um, I was actually bribed by my mother, too. And I say that in the very best way. I think (laughs) she could see, you know, she could see that I had some major uh, issues. and she wanted me to get help and for some reason in high school i knew i knew that i was broken and i was depressed and i think i just thought that that's how it was gonna be and she said i will buy you whatever you want um if you just try it and so i tried it really just to get some new clothes and um (laughs) it didn't do anything because I wasn't ready and I wasn't willing to um, get help. And it took me severely um, hitting rock bottom, going to multiple psychologists and psychiatrists and being put on several different medications for me to realize that I really needed in whatever way I could get it. And like, found a therapist who worked at the BYU counseling department and um, I see it as no coincidence how we it, it all connected and came together, but he specialized in trauma and I saw him for about, I want to say six or eight months and we saw each other weekly and I really connected with him. But I also think that I was finally at a point where I knew that I needed help. And I think one of the things that he said to me uh, in the very beginning was, I'm not going to, you know, by you coming to therapy, it's not just going to go away. We're not going to just make it disappear. What I want to help you do is learn how to live with your experience and live through it. And so we did a lot of work and we finally got to a point where we felt like I was doing really well. And so he's like, I can see that you are ready to take the next step. And so that day we watched actual footage of the shooters during the shooting. And I remember I I called my mom and my sister that day and I felt like I had conquered the whole world. I felt like after so many years, it had been seven plus years since the shooting. And that was the first time that I felt like it wasn't going to just swallow me up whole and I was going to be able to live a happy life. And so I, I, I love therapy and I just think it's, very individual. It's when you're ready for it and it's finding the person that you connect with. And um, I still have many episodes of uh being re-traumatized and falling, you know, it's like one step forward, five steps back sometimes. I feel like it just takes constant, like Sarah said, it takes it takes work and it takes constant attention to be able to, um, thrive, you know, survive, but thrive also.
0: I love that. And I know also that you were both passionate about running and you recently ran the Boston marathon, which is just incredible to me. So has running played a part in your healing process?
2: Yeah. Running for me has always been a part of my life. I mean, we grew up in a very active family and our parents were both runners growing up and, you know, had brothers that ran cross country and we started running as a family. Um, I remember in fourth grade, I was uh, got my first pair of running shoes and we ran the Boulder Boulder together as a family every year for a few years. And we would go the day before and volunteer to get our free uh, bib for the race. And we would go run it the next day together. And, um, you know, that was a huge part of us just being together as a family. So, uh, it was something I continued with through high school. I, I began running track and in Columbine actually, um, my junior year that next year after the shootings and, I quit soccer and decided that I was going to start running. And it was probably the best uh, part of my high school experience was running. And it was something that uh, gave me kind of a sense of purpose in in high school. Um, you know, I got good grades, and so I didn't feel like that was something I had to focus on too much. But running kind of gave me a separate um positive identity i don't know something that i was good at enough that i could enjoy it and um i never really stopped and i i ran through high school and then in college i started training for marathons and um about maybe 2 years into to college i decided I would run my first marathon and as I was training I became injured and I went to see one of the sports medicine guys at at BYU and he said, you know, some people just aren't meant to run marathons. And I was so annoyed, I was so mad. I was like, yeah. you can't tell me that I can't do this. And so I did. I I kept running and in 2005 I ran my first marathon and um, it's always been a, a kind of a way for me to, uh, not only to escape, but also to see progression and to become better at something. It's something that I can always improve on. You know, it's something you can always look back and say, Oh, I, I'm faster now than I was, you know, three years ago or whatever. And in between having kids, it was my way to get healthy again. And it was, kind of my way to take a break from the chaos at home and and get outside and um so it's always been something that has brought me peace and joy. Um and being able to run Boston is like, you know, it's like what every runner works for. It's like the it's like the running Mecca. It's you, it's what everybody wants to to reach and so being able to do that especially doing it with Laura and doing it around the 20th anniversary was a really really big deal for us it was kind of this like hurricane of all all of these worlds combining you know and it was actually an extremely emotional month um you know having it be the 20th anniversary of Columbine but also Seeing how far we'd come and, and how much we'd accomplished as human beings and also as runners. And uh it was it was exhausting but also wonderful.
1: So I echo everything that Sarah said. I think uh, you know, for both of us being mothers, we um want to dedicate our day to um, you know, providing for our children and being being moms, and so for me, it is the best way for me to start my day because it gives me um, some time for myself, something that I really love and enjoy, and um, it helps me. I think it helps me to be a better mom and a better person, and it's extremely therapeutic. Um, I have found that running, while it has its physical benefits um is really mostly mental for me and it's it is that way with a marathon i just did one last saturday and um you can do all of the training physically but at at a point your body usually hurts and wants to give up on you but it's your mind and your your mental strength that carries you to the finish line and i I love doing marathons because I, I do love seeing that I can do really hard things. And, um, I think people don't, you know, going through something really traumatic or difficult or even, you know, not necessarily traumatic, but just life experiences. We don't give our minds and our bodies enough credit and, um, it's been a really neat connection to have running as a therapy and um, a way to combat some of that PTSD that, that comes, but also just um, overcoming difficult things. And I tell you what, in the middle of a marathon, you hate every second for a little bit and you... Tell yourself that you're never going to do it again, and that this is the last time. And then, right when you cross that finish line, you're signing up for your next marathon because it's just a, an awesome experience. So. Yeah.
0: So you talked about doing hard things, and you you do that all the time with sharing your story with others and spreading awareness about trauma. And I know that you're involved in an organization called rebels for change. So I was wondering if you could tell us about that and what people can do to help.
2: Uh, Sarah, you take that. <laughs> okay. Um, about, let's see, it's been about a year and a half. Well, no, a year and a couple of months, actually. Um, a few of us, quite a few of us actually from Columbine have have kind of ended up here in Utah and we've made it a tradition of getting together every 20th together, every April 20th um, or as many as we could and, and just supporting each other and being there for each other. And um, last year at around March was the uh, Parkland shooting in Florida. And that one really had a lot of similarities to Columbine and, and it was something that really shook a lot of us pretty hard and um, we decided that we were going to get together and just um, kind of, you know, support each other. And so we got together one day and we started talking about how, you know, we're just sick of seeing this happen over and over and and not being able to do anything to stop it. And so we decided we're, we're all at a place in our lives and we are ready to, do what we could to help it not happen anymore and you know to prevent our kids from having the same experience that we did that we still have to deal with you know Mm -hmm. and so we created rebels for change and um you know in the beginning our mission was pretty broad and we weren't really sure where we'd where we would land but we've had some amazing opportunities to speak with Um, school administrators all over utah and students and you know anybody that that wants to hear our message we're we're happy to share um and we you know just really like to focus on number one school safety and and helping people realize where changes need to be made and where they can be made and and kind of bringing a reality to the necessity of it um So that's been a huge part of it. And the other part is we like to share our message of hope and of healing and that people can overcome these things and that there's light at at the end of the tunnel that, you know, all of us have gone through some pretty hard things in our lives and um, there are ways to thrive and not just survive it, like Laura said, but to, to actually thrive and to live happy and successful lives and, That's something that we are really passionate about sharing with other people.
0: So, yeah, I think that education piece is so important because I don't think trauma is something that people know much about, honestly. And Laura, when you were talking about your experience with the SWAT team and how you were walking out of the building and stepping over bodies, it just made me think about educating people so that they can think a couple steps ahead. And, like, I know in crisis situations, no one's going to respond perfectly and do it all, like, quote-unquote, right. But I think there are things that can be done to prevent some trauma. Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. We've had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of interest um, in just our story and experiences from law enforcement and from, you know, a lot of school administration because I think a lot of people don't take some of these things seriously or some of the, um, you know, the aftermath or the effects of it seriously. And it's been, it's been really cool to see people change after hearing, you know, a a personal experience from something like that. And, um, yeah, I think just having that kind of like a foundation of awareness, even just a little bit can be life-changing for people. So,
0: yeah. So if someone is listening to this and they're wanting more education for their school or for law enforcement, like you mentioned earlier, where can they look for you and find those resources? Uh, So we're
2: on Facebook and Instagram as rebels for change group. Um, we also have a website called RebelsForChange.org, and um, you know, email us. You can email us. You can message us, and however you can contact us, we'll respond and we'll help in any way we can. We, I think, one of the the biggest things for us is making sure that other people don't have to experience what we have. But what we've seen so far, um, people have come such a long way. They they say ground, the Columbine shootings were ground zero and they really did take it apart piece by piece and try to make it um, so that the responders do it completely differently. And I, that's a huge comfort for us at this point. They've made so much change already, but uh, there is a lot of work to be done and we welcome any any help that we can get and any opportunity we can to share our story and help others. So. appreciate it.
1: And going along with that, um, you know, it does, you don't have to be affiliated with the school to, to hear our story. We, we would love to just share the mental and emotional effects of our story and also the actual experience. Um, we don't charge anything because that's not our motivation for it. We want to open up the discussion and the communication about mental health and trauma and, um, safety and all of those things. So we are open books in hopes that we can help one person. So any, anyone who's listening, desiring to hear any, any part of it, we would love that opportunity.
0: And I've seen you do some cool things, like with a recent school shooting, you were collecting letters. So were those for the kids that were affected?
2: Yes, to anybody, administrators all the way down to the kindergartners at that school. We collected letters from several schools around Utah County, and it was really amazing to see people reach out. And that was something that we got to be um, a part of at Columbine. We had Thousands and thousands of people all over the world send us letters. And I think, unfortunately, these shootings are more and more common and these kids are kind of getting forgotten. And um, their trauma isn't going to be any less just because it's so common. It's going to be just as, as hard to deal with. And uh, we want to offer support wherever we can. So
0: it's been really, really great to see people reaching out and helping us. So it sounds like people can do things like on a smaller scale, like writing letters or being educated, being informed about trauma and spreading that awareness. And I really think that can go a long way in helping others and just your communities that you live in. And I just want to thank you both so much for sharing your story and being open and talking about that with us. Um, it was amazing to hear just your message of hope and i truly appreciate it so much thank you thanks for having us yeah
1: yes thank you so much thank you for what you are doing also to um create that open dialogue yep it's really important and you are amazing at that so thank you
0: oh thank you thanks for joining us today we want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryach from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.